0: morning, class. uh, Sunday, July 21st. We are continuing a little excursus down Conflict Resolution Lane. Make sure you have this handout in front of you, uh, Conflict Resolution, When You Struggle. This one here. If we get through it, I have another one for you. We'll dig even deeper into this subject in James chapter 4. But let's pray commit our time to the Lord. Father, we're so grateful for this day. You have given us life and breath. You've given us rest, promises by which we um, take hold of you and Christ through your magnificent promises of grace and mercy. You've declared your love for us through Jesus. We have nothing to prove, nothing to lose. We are set free by the work of our precious and glorious Savior. And in Him, we believe uh, through the Holy Spirit that we have riches. To manage the strife in life, it's it's inevitable in a fallen world. So help us as we study together, give us understanding, move in our hearts to bring to pass that which would please you, the God who has resolved conflict with us through the death of his son. What a God you give, you love, so kind. In Jesus' name, amen. The handout presupposes that there's someone in your life that has hurt you. And just out of curiosity, if you were to parse it, in your experience, have you been hurt more by non-followers of Jesus or followers of Jesus in your experience? What's been your experience? More personal, relational, hurt by people who call themselves Christians or people who would not call themselves Christians? More so by Christians? Same for me. Uh, I can't think of any relational strife, maybe because I'm not in relationship with enough uh, unbelievers. But it turns out that as we make our way through this world, we are um, conflict is inevitable. We live in a Genesis three world. We're not going to get relationship right all the time. So this handout presupposes that there's someone who's hurt you. You may have hurt them. Um, you may be seeking reconciliation, but sometimes it's not possible to seek reconciliation, re- reconciliation with a person. So this is a template designed to help you deal with the various issues that come up in our hearts. Where God, when We're going to start at the bottom of the page and work up, and where we want to get to, if you look at the top, we want to get to the place of peace, where God gives us peace of heart and assurance And we're not in turmoil. I'm one of those people that can't compartmentalize. I wish I could. I wish I could say, okay, here's this part of my life where there's strife and relational difficulty. I'm going to put that in a compartment over here, and I can easily focus over here. I'm not able to do that. To me, it bleeds over into everything else. I have to force myself to compartmentalize. And someone I'm struggling with, I say, okay, that's them, Lord. You have mercy on them. Let me try to keep that over here. But for me personally, I'm not able to compartmentalize. Maybe some of you are. Some of you, do some of you have the gift of separating those things out and leaving them in a certain place and being able to move on. You're able to do that. That's good. Anybody else? Okay, so as they say in the South, irregardless. (laughs) This template is designed to help you when we're confronted with various choices along the way. Every time we're struggling with this hurt relationship, we face a choice. And we can either turn to the right, as it were, for healing and help, or we can turn to the left, and we don't get healing and help. You can see from the handout at the top, Turning one direction festers the wound, turning the other heals the wound. And the fact that there's a number of steps along the way tells you that it might take time to heal these things. It might take time, depending again on whether you're the person who can deal with these things quickly and resolve them, and you're able to move on, man, that's a great quality. Okay, so we're going to go to the bottom of the page, and we're going to move up. And the question is, what direction are you turning to manage the pain? It's always painful to have strife in a relationship, to be hurt by somebody. Okay? What direction are you turning? The first, and there's things you can add to this too, and if you have things to add, let me know. We'll improve the handout for the future. The first question is, where am I putting my focus? If you want a healing, first start with your own sins. So this is the passage from Galatians 5. Walk by the Spirit, you won't carry out the desires of the flesh. God first confronts us with our own sin and inability to do the right thing. We first need to cast ourselves on the power and help of the Holy Spirit versus turning and focusing on that person's sins. And as I think I said last week before we stopped, like a misaligned front end, and you know when your t- tires are misaligned in your car, it's always sort of pulling this way. I know my own heart's inclination is to want to focus on their guilt, their sin, their transgression versus my own. Look, they may have sinned against you. And in fact, this handout presupposes that they have. You may not have sinned against them in this illustration. But it's always helpful to start first with your absolute need to have a heart filled with the Holy Spirit, a mind transformed and renewed by the truth of God by the Spirit versus focusing first on their sins. You're not called to deny or sweep under the carpet what they've done to you. That's not helpful. That doesn't bring about healing. Sometimes we need to really make clear what exactly is the sin I think I've been sinned against. Okay. Maybe somebody has just has uh, treated you foolishly. That may not be a sin. Good morning. Maybe somebody's uh, through ignorance or neglect or whatever. Maybe they have sinned against you with greater degrees of severity or uh, whatnot. So, okay, first thing. First, focus on my sins. Jesus' provocative illustration in Matthew 7 of this was what? Before you go looking at the speck in someone else's eye, do what? Take the log out of your own eye. So, Jesus is saying we have this uncanny ability to look past our own flaws and focus on others. So, notice if I'm looking at David's specs, to be focused on David's specs, as it were, what has to be blurred? I can't simultaneously focus on my faults and his. So, I'm looking past mine to be focused on his. And Jesus says, first take the log out of your own mind, then you'll be able to help your brother with their specs. So, that's the posture of humility. But for the grace of God, I would be worse than this person that sinned against me. So first, there's a focus, okay? My sins. Their sins. Secondly, there's a posture with respect to this other person in this problem. If you want healing, you ask for grace to take the posture of owning. Is there anything I can change? Galatians 6 talks about... um, each man shall bear his own load. Then he's going to give an account to God for himself for what his life is like. Far too often we're concerned with when people do things against us, we're concerned with, um, you know, they're, they're going to have to answer to God for that. And that is true. But the only thing, person you're going to answer to God for on the day of judgment is what? You. It's all, you're only going to answer for yourself. God's going to want to know, how did you do, how did you handle that? Were you as charitable towards them as I've been towards you, right? The day of judgment, it's just your record and God. And that's a good, fast forward that back into the present, you know, the, the judgment day and, and think about that. So, can, is there something I can change? Test your own work. Versus what festers the wound is, to, is leaning towards being defensive, how dare you do that? You must respect me. Is it important for people to respect you, all things being equal? Sure. Your owed respect as an image bearer of God, your owed respect as a trophy of God's grace as a Christian. But this is something when I find I'm demanding that you must respect me, I'm probably leaning in a direction that's going to fester that wound versus promote healing. Let's push pause there and see if you have any comments or questions or observations. A series of many decisions. Little directions. Am I going to turn to the right or to the left? Okay, just feel free to jump in if something comes to mind. The third uh, intersection you come to is what sort of spirit do I have? If you want healing, you ask God for a humble spirit. It's it's fascinating. Let's turn to 1 Peter 3. (coughs) This is the first verses after Peter's instruction to husbands and wives in 1 Peter 3. And so he he has husbands husbands and wives in view. And then he says in verse 8, finally all of you. So not only husbands, wives, but all of you. In the body of Christ. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind. Don't repay evil for evil. So that's a posture, a spirit of grace. I am what I am by the grace of God. Unity of mind. Can we come to an agreement on this? Sympathy. You feel the pain that other person perhaps is in, even though. They're inflicting pain on you. Maybe they're inflicting pain on you because of pain earlier in their life or something else that's going on in their life. Brotherly love. Love is always wanting the best for that person. A tender heart. A humble mind. That humble mind is, my love's first, their specs second. I am what I am by the grace of God. Versus turning the direction that's going to fester that room, which is a spirit of critical, being being critical. And do people give us things, reasons to find, to be critical of them? Do people give us reasons to be critical? Yes. Well, you know, what are you expecting? Paul Tripp's book on marriage. What were you expecting? To be married to a sinless person? And aren't you a sinner? If you want to be married to a sinless person, your opportunity's gone. That opportunity lasted for however long in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve hadn't sinned. That was your only opportunity to be married to a sinless person. So, do I have a critical spirit? Why? What's driving that? What's driving this critical spirit? Am I somehow trying to compensate for some guilt in me by criticizing them? The idea is I can somehow raise myself up by pulling them down. Is Is that what I'm doing? Why do I need to do that? Again, if we're secure in the love of Christ for us in the gospel, we're secure, nothing to prove, nothing to lose. I'm loved. I've been granted God's the riches of his grace. I no longer need to live in the spirit of criticism uh, over another person. Doesn't mean objectively they haven't done things wrong. We're not supposed to throw out the, the rule book with this. They could certainly have sinned against you. Okay. Next intersection, am I, turn, am I healing, am I festering the wound? And that is blame. Could I be the bigger problem for the first Peter uh, 5-6? is humble yourself in the mighty hand of God and he'll exalt you at the proper time. So humility simply asks, could that be me? This thing this person's done against you, do you think you could do that to somebody else? Oftentimes if it's egregious, we don't think we have the capacity of hurting somebody that way. What's the truth? There's Hitler in all of our hearts. I could have been Adolf Hitler if left to myself. I don't think we intuitively believe that. I think if we've been raised in a relatively uh, middle class American, we've gone to school and we're educated and we kept ourselves pretty, pretty, pretty much out of trouble, I don't think we believe we're capable of being Hitler. Although, if left to ourselves, couldn't we have been someone so bad? What if that was your starting point in resolving conflict with somebody else? Well, I I could be Hitler. (laughs) I I think we start with a lot more self-righteousness than that. So, Lord, is there self-righteousness in my heart? Is that a little extreme to put it that way? (laughs) Yeah, but I think it makes the point. Okay, so blame... Am I the bigger problem versus if you want to fester the room? there's this resentment, you know, how dare you? How dare you? How dare you hurt me? Well, what made me a person who couldn't be hurt? Just out of curiosity. What, how did I get in the category of the person who could never be hurt by somebody else? Uh, yeah, I don't think I'm in that category. I think God says, hey, Mike, you live in a fallen world with a lot of other sinners, and you're one, too, and you've hurt people, who said you can't be hurt by other people? Just, just asking. Stop me if you want to weigh in. Series of directions, series of many decisions series of issues we have to confront. Just don't wallow in the sadness, wallow in the frustration, wallow in the criticalness. Tease out what the specific issues are. Sight. Where are you, where are you casting your sight? As we've already seen, if you want healing... You get clear sight by starting with a log in your own eye. That allows you to see clearly. Okay. Now when I go to judge someone, I really am able to judge with fair judgment because I've been honest about myself. And you, 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 you can see sins in other people. If You can. And there's no denying that. So I want clear sight. And what's fuzzy sight? Is I'm focused on what's wrong with them. That really does blur. Because if I'm focused only on what's wrong with you and not seeing what's wrong with me, I can't have clear sight. Not according to Jesus. Okay. Next intersection. Where am I turning for help? You want healing? You want this thing to progress? You want to get to a place of peace? Look to Christ, His grace, worship Him, seek godly counsel. Talk to people who you're willing to say, challenge me on this one. Challenge me on this one. To have this right. It's good to have someone in your life who will just be honest with you this way. The Second Thessalonians two sixteen is the passage we're preaching in now, which is comfort. Encourage one another. Build up one another. Janice.
1: You know, I think today's culture, I mean it, it might not be unique in the past, but the availability. Of so much input into our thought processes, you know, because of the digital world, you know, podcasts, so many places to hear others' thoughts. Um, You know, we have to be just very aware that the source of our counsel is uh, truly biblical and not just, you know, the world with a little bit of Jesus thrown in or whatever. I mean, you know, it's. That health issue is very can be very clouded by you know peers, what they're listening to, or what what their latest thing is. Um, you know, I just I see that.
0: Good, good. Lots of voices out there. The fact that they exist doesn't mean they're helpful, true, or right, or biblical. Good. Um, here's what tends to fester the room, the, the wound is. Self-reliance, manipulating the situation with a person, or going to people who are going to tell you what you want to hear—that will tend to fester the wound. Okay. But what's the what's the what's the leaning and the propensity of my heart? It's self-help. I'm a child of Adam. I'm self-help. Look to myself. Rely on myself. Dig into my own resources. Well, I am really my my worst enemy here. That's why the wound is festering. That's why I'm struggling here. (laughs) The proof is I'm struggling. (laughs) Okay, next intersection. What's your method of moving forward? Biblically, we're called to faith and repentance. The Ephesians 4 passage is the marvelous place where Paul says, put off doing this and put on in its place. Put off and put on. Put off and put on. If you're lying, stop lying and start telling the truth. It says, no longer steal, but go to work. Stop stealing, but go to work. And when you go to work, you have something you can give other people. So it's the, it's the whole method in the Christian life. Put off, put on. Your thinking is leading you to do this. You've got to replace that with thoughts that are true. Think on those things that are lovely, true, right, good, excellent, and worthy of praise. means 4 8. Okay, faith, Repentance. Never repent without looking to Jesus. If you look to Jesus, you'll be led to repent because you'll see Jesus in his holiness, Jesus in his righteousness, Jesus in his word, Jesus in his law. The love of Jesus for you exposes all your false laws. When those are exposed, repent. But when you repent, look to Jesus. Okay? Martin Luther said in one of the um, 95 theses, that uh, That well, is one of the top five. The Christian life is a constant process of faith and repentance. Faith and repentance, faith, repentance. You don't initially faith, uh, repent, and believe, to, 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 and then you're done with that to the Christian life. That's how you start, and that's how you move through the Christian life. My mentor in seminary, Jack Miller, called it the Christian two step faith, repentance. Faith, repentance. You're never not repenting and believing the gospel, repenting and believing the gospel. So a question you can ask somebody is, what are you repenting of right now? And are you looking to Christ? I think the Puritan said, said, for every one look you take at your sin, take ten looks at Jesus. Ten looks at Jesus. And you know you're not looking to Christ if you're repenting, and you're feeling sullen, depressed, woe is me, you're still focused on your sin. Christ wants you focused on his victory over your sin. That is forgiven. It's washed. You're clean. You're loved. But you don't know you're loved until, how much you're loved until you've dealt honestly with your sin. Jesus said those who are forgiven much, love much. I don't really love people that well. Well, I can guarantee one of the sources of that. You don't know how much you've been forgiven. According to Jesus. Okay. Next intersection. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, to fester the wound with your method just a self-righteous feast on bitterness. Bitterness is is like a green briar that grows in the ground in central Virginia. It's a it's a it's a green leaf. It's got thorns on it. It's a vine. Do they have it up here? Greenbrier, kind of a wild vine. You can't pull that stuff out of the ground. And you grab. First of all, you need gloves to grab it because it's all prickly snaps, right? You can't get to the roots. Hebrews warns, don't let a root of bitterness develop in your heart. That bitterness is, is, is someone described bitterness as a poison you drink and hope the other person dies. It only hurts you, bitterness. A poison you drink and hope the other person dies. So Hebrews warns about a root of bitterness. The implication is it can really go down and surround our heart and strangle out. You're I know when I'm struggling with another person, I feel like, Lord, I'm wasting so much energy on that and not what's important. It drains the energy out of me. So a self-righteous feast on bitterness. And notice that oftentimes underneath the bitterness is self-righteousness. I don't deserve it. I deserve better than that. I would never have done that. I'm not sure that's true. <laughs> Next intersection. Yes, please. How um, How
1: about, how do, you, how do you turn yourself away from that focus? I mean, you know, I know in our discussions we've kind of <clears throat> talked about, well, maybe if you can articulate it. So that you don't keep going back over and
0: over and over, and over again. I mean So tell tell okay. them how you encourage me. Um, write it down. This no. is a reason thing in my life. That doesn't involve any of you.
1: Okay.
0: Yeah. yeah. Or anyone at Wallace. There's no one at Wallace involved in this. I've yeah. had a recent struggle with somebody. Yeah.
1: It just write down the circumstances.
0: Anything that comes to mind.
1: Anything that comes to mind. Okay. You know, how are you how are you feeling now? So the circumstances, how you're feeling. Uh, maybe, uh, you know, possible solu- you know solutions, the solutions that you're feeling, kind of like all this stuff that we've got right So Something the history. Right, yeah. And then, you know, because you know how we have a tendency just to think about things and we go over the same stuff over and over and over again. So I said, well, let's write it down and then, we you know, at least we've articulated it. We've, you know, we have it somewhere, right? Obviously, we talk about it together, too. You have that option. Good.
0: Great suggestion. You ever do this?
1: A piece of paper and a pad by the bed, you know, you wake up in the night, right? Just like you write down something you don't want to forget, right? The same way if you're, you know, disturbed your sleep or whatever, take some time to put those thoughts on paper so that you at least know you dealt with it mentally at that point and then maybe you can move on to rest or whatever.
0: Good. Very helpful. And the same with talking it out with somebody. And like my wife will listen to me, she'll ask questions, she'll sympathize and know she's in my corner, but she'll also tell me the truth. She's not going to um, uh, minimize the situation. She'll tell me the truth because she wants the best for me. The truth is best for me. Good suggestion. Anyone else want to weigh in? So someone sinned against you. They've objectively sinned against you. You want healing. You don't want the wound to fester. If you want healing, you forgive. Ephesians 4:32. As Christ has forgiven you, so you forgive others. It's as and so. It starts with the gospel. As Christ, sorry, Christ has forgiven you, so you. You never, the Bible doesn't say, forgive people, that's what you're supposed to do. No, it starts with Jesus. You've been forgiven. What is that supposed to do? It's supposed to melt my heart. It's supposed to put everything in perspective. It's supposed to ground me. It's supposed to set me free from needing to defend and prove myself. It's supposed to deliver me from self-righteousness. I've been forgiven. I no longer put Jesus on the cross. That was me who nailed him there. I spit in his face. I mocked him. I jeered him. I did that, and what I got in return was love and salvation. Okay, that sure puts this person in a new perspective, doesn't it? Yeah, well, they would have done the same thing. Don't worry about them. The point is, I did that to Jesus. As Christ has forgiven you, so you. Otherwise, you have something called moralism. In fact, Paul goes right from Ephesians four and Ephesians. Uh, five, imagine that. Five followers. He says, the imitators of God, Be imitators, and in that imitation at that point, it really is in showing love and forgiveness. The imitators of God, anybody look, know what the next phrase is? As beloved children. Now, if you don't have that as beloved children, you've got what's called moralism. Be a good person. Forgive like Christ forgave. Treat golden rule. Do unto others as you and do unto you. That's called moralism. And that is a treadmill of exhaustion. It's a dead end. It's a trap. It's awful. It's unbiblical. It's what Jesus came to destroy. It's the, it's the Pharisee and the publican. Okay. No. The logic of Paul is because you are beloved children, beloved children imitate their father. As... Beloved children, be imitators of God. Because are you going to fail in your imitation of God? Constantly. So what's your assurance that there's any hope or forgiveness for you or salvation for you? In your failure, you're always a beloved child of God because you become that immediately by faith because you're in union with Jesus. You're one with Christ by faith. Okay. So... Forgiveness, if you want to fester the womb, you want vengeance. I'm not saying in certain situations you might need to, as it were, sue for something. There's a reason we have law courts for suing. That idea is biblical. It's in the Old Testament to create justice for something. But but if in human relationships where you've been hurt and there's nothing to sue for, what sort of vengeance do you want? And why do I want vengeance? Why do I want to hurt that person? What's, what's going on in my heart? What's that? Pride. pride. And turn pride, uh, Emily, into a thought. What am I telling myself out of this proud heart? I'm better than they are and therefore what, Rock? They need to be put down. They need to be put down to show them what they are, to be shown what they are. Okay. justice for them and not for me yeah justice for them so that's how, that's how this person lives we wake up and if we're in our right minds what do we ask God for mercy, don't give me what I deserve oh when it comes to that person who hurt me, justice mercy for them, me, justice for them Jesus says you've got mercy, you show mercy that's the strength in which he can say love your enemies There's nothing in us humanly whereby we emotionally have to feel affection for our enemies. That's impossible. But to love your enemies is to say, I once was an enemy of God. I'm now a child of God. Therefore, I want what's best for my enemies. Sometimes that might be prison time. That might be what's best for your enemy if they hurt you and they need prison time. Maybe. But we want what's best for them as God has brought what's best for us through his death of the Son on the cross to make His enemies his friends. Please, David. uh, Another element of this that you see in the Psalms a lot is is demanding justice for others but entrusting that justice to God and not taking that justice into your own heart and your own hands. We see all over the place, David, calling down justice on his enemies. We do.
1: But he is leaving that justice to God in God's hands and not taking it on himself to...
0: Good. Sometimes he did. He wanted to go out and kill him. Uh, if you read Proverbs um, 21 this morning, there was a verse. I can't quote it exactly, but basically it's you know leave you know leave the results to God. Just wait on God for for that. Good. Okay. Um, how are you soothing the pain? It is painful to be hurt by another person. It is painful. We weren't built to be hurt by people. We were built to get along with people. God didn't design you to, um, to be jilted, to be mocked, to be scorned, to be hurt. He didn't design you for that. We were built for harmony and relationship. So it's very painful. And so don't try to uh, you know, deny the pain. But we then, we want to we put some sort of anesthetic over our hearts the only way to soothe the pain is, as I said a moment ago, to pray for that person. So here's this person. Why don't you pray for them as if that's you? And so to to, to somebody you struggle with in your own mind, a difficult relationship, have you ever tried praying for them a lot and seeing your attitude towards them change? You ever tried that? I've seen that in my life. It's very interesting, very powerful. You pray for that person. You don't have to deny what you don't like about them. That's okay. You can not like stuff about them. This isn't put your head in the sand, but it's praying for them. And your attitude to They say in psychological studies that if you're in a room with somebody and you're talking negatively about another person in the organization and that person walks in, you're bound to treat them differently having spoken negatively about them. You heard about this study. It just affects the way you treat them. So, pray for them. Jesus says, pray for your enemies, love your enemies, turn the cheek. If you want to fester the womb... Just uh, do what I'm calling self-pitying indulgence. Find something to, to, um, to medicate the pain of being hurt by another person. There's lots of things available in our culture. Back then, too, uh, there's always been things available to human beings to medicate pain without dealing with, uh, A, the root cause, and B, the only true uh, sad, which is the grace of God. He's Jehovah Rapha, God our healer. He's a fountain of grace for us. Okay, how you see it in the pain. So look at things in your life. You say, is, that, is it too much of this? And it could be something good, exercise, work, whatever. It could be a good thing you're too much of. Am I, am I working too much because I'm really trying to see the pain of something over here? Is it painful living in a fallen world? Yes, yes, and that's why we need each other in this fight. Okay, next little intersection you come to. What's making you stable? Right? We kind of get thrown off kilter when we've been hurt by another person. It's, it's destabilizing. For healing, you've got to pe- put your feet, obviously, firmly planted in Christ. This is the wonderful verse of Colossians 2, from which the navigators develop the ministry. Colossians 2.7. Firmly rooted in Christ, built up on the word. Okay? So what does that look like in your life? Firmly... Rooted in Christ. how did that come to pass? Does that make any sense? And why would the Old Testament particularly, and Proverbs talks about the roots of sin and snare and whatnot? Why in this culture would they be talking about roots? It was in a gray in society. You, you saw plants all the time, dying, with a ring, pulled up, you'd pull up things by the roots. There's a tree near our house in Virginia now that must have been a storm. A straight-line wind's come through. Uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a tree right by Route 221 and far, this old tree that's on its side. And you drive by, and you can see right through the this, the whole thing is hollowed out. It, the tree was obviously dead on the inside, and it's just on the ground. This must be over 100 years old. It's that big. But you know why. You drive by, and you go, oh, look, there's no light inside of it. So the roots there were... were Finally gave out, and the wind won the battle. Somebody famous said, build your life on what? A firm foundation so when the storms and the sea come, it doesn't knock you over Jesus at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, so um, where are you getting your stability? What's it look like to get stability in Christ? How do you do that? Read, Read scripture. Scripture? You come to a Sunday's request just like you're doing. You're here because you want truth to get you firmly grounded in, in in the Word of God and in Jesus. Good for you. And I presume that you're going to stay and go to worship. That helps develop roots. And then you might gather with Christians. at home groups are over for the summer, but when the home groups start up, your elders want you in home groups. One of the ways that functions is to get you rooted in Christ, encouraging one another, praying for one another, sharing your burdens with one another. Your elders want that happening because we don't do this alone, and they can't do it for everybody, but we do this together, one anothering. So the means of grace, sacraments, the word of God, worship, one anothering. And one of the greatest ways I've found in my life, although I don't do it enough, to get rooted in Christ is to share Christ with people. There's an amazing. What's um, uh, the word I want? I don't want kickback. I don't want payback. There's an amazing a fruit or effect where, when you're sharing Christ, convictions about Christ being true are deepened in your soul. I think evangelism is a means of grace. It's often left off the list, and it shouldn't be. Okay. Next. Um, so. Oh, and so firm in Christ versus. You feel like you're sinking and losing ground. So people that are struggling over others in relationships, they really feel like they're sinking. Because there's no firm ground, understandably. So it's a good sign from God. If you feel like you're sinking, you're placing your footing on something that isn't holding you. God in his mercy is letting that thing fail. That's good. A severe mercy. So, run to Christ. He'll never let anyone fail. And save him. Sing a hymn. My hope is built on right? That's one. Not My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Or, uh, from a foundation these sings of the Lord. There's hymns about foundations. Good. Alright, next intersection. What emotions are you feeling? And this has been very helpful to me over the years is distinguishing between anger and grief. Uh, is it understandable that when someone hurts you, you're angry? Is that understandable? Yes. We're even commanded to be angry but do not sin. Anger is a, uh, it's an emotion God has. Psalm says he's angry with the wicked all day long. Well, no, our anger doesn't approximate God because we're sinful and he isn't. But if somebody hurts you, you're angry. What is at the heart of anger. You have a goal that is being blocked. That goal is I want people to treat me well. I don't want to be hurt. I don't. You know, whatever it is. If that goal is blocked, you're going to be angry. So anger is understandable at the beginning. If anger persists and you remain angry, the wound is festering. You're not healing. You know you have begun to heal from someone hurting you when anger morphs into grief. Sorrow. They're very different. The grief is... Uh, um, I can grieve that this person is this way. Anger just keeps you spun up. Initially, anger's good. It should move you to do something to get it resolved. Right? Don't let the sun go down on your anger. When's the time to resolve your anger if possible? So far, depends on you. By the time you that your head hits the pillow. That's when the anger's had a resolved. right? Couples know if you go to bed and you haven't resolved the conflict, you sleep like stink. You don't sleep well. And there's a reason for that, okay? Right? I said that nicely, didn't I? You thought I was going to do this. Okay? So resolve your anger. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. And in that place in Ephesians 4, Paul says, because it gives the devil a place, an opportunity. He's the angriest person in the world. Boy, does he love to get Christians angry with each other, not least husbands and wives, kids and their parents. Angry, angry, angry. Not a lot of good happens when we're angry with each other. The point is, there's, there's healing when your anger has turned to grief. Look, we grieve, but not as those who have no hope. And, and uh, who else grieves over our sin? The Holy Spirit, the end of Ephesians 4. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And what grieves the Holy Spirit in that context in Ephesians 4 is our relational breakdown. The way we treat each other and speak to each other grieves the Holy Spirit. Not only it angers him, it, it grieves him. Okay. So, I'm making progress if there's sorrow and grief versus anger. Next question is, what do I think God is doing here? This person's hurt me. Is God going to fester the wound? God's abandoning me. God's punishing me. Why did he do this to me? Why did he let me get this far in this relationship and then jilted, abandoned, left for dead, so to speak? Why did God allow that? Is God punishing me? I don't know the answer to that question. I do know this. If you want a uh, direction of healing, you always trust God is sanctifying me. Everything God is doing in my life is because he loves me and there's no condemnation for whatever sin and I'm complicit with in this situation, there's no condemnation from God, I am promise Romans 8.1, which says, anyone? There is, therefore, now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so that way, if I'm going to continue teaching a class in the fall, I've got to decide what I'm going to teach. And one thing I'm thinking about is, uh, the reign of life, Romans 5 to 8. Okay. Something, Have we had that recently? Taught that recently at Wallace? Romans 5 to 8? Okay. So that's a thought. Just looking ahead. Um, Philippians 2.13 God is at work in you, but they're willing to work for your salvation. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For God is at work in you. He's always at work. Through the hard relationships. Through the good relationship. And oftentimes I don't see the junk in my heart in the good relationships. I need the difficult relationship to see my own heart. Send for mercy. Where's your confidence? At some point, you know, you've got, to, you've got to move forward in confidence, sure footing, again for healing. God is working for my good. Romans 8:28, we know that God causes all things to work together for good, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I want to fester the womb. What do I want to do? I want to, um, I've, 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 I've got fears. The future's bleak. So suppose you're in a serious relationship with some of the opposite sex. You think this might turn into marriage. They've abandoned you. Your first thought is, I'm never going to get married. Bleak future. Fear. No, no, no. God's got this. If it wasn't going to be that person, God made that clear if that isn't the right person. Right? I got jilted by them. That's not the right person. And finally, what's the result? Um, you, you, God gives us peace. He, he really gives us our hearts to be at rest. Even with pain in our hearts. Even with pain in our hearts. Pain and peace aren't mutually exclusive. Peace gives you the ability to endure certain amounts of pain because people are going to hurt us. Peace and pain are, can coexist in the same heart. Versus, you want to fester the room, just keep stewing and being an enmity. And I'm, man, I'm preaching to the choir. This, this is the inclination of my heart, It's to stew, It's to focus, It's just to get locked in, radar lock. Remember a cop gun, radar locked. There's the other jet so I can blast up, radar lock. Maybe I'm just betraying the weakness of my personality and flesh, radar locked. If you don't have that, glory to God. You don't want radar lock in your heart. Put it on Jesus, right? (laughs) Okay, so God holds out the promise of peace in the midst of difficulty, persecution, etc., rejection. All right, we're out of time. Any closing comments? Next week, we're going to dive into James chapter 4 in a lot of detail. Yes. You
1: know, you.
0: It's a great question. Um, you have to make some adjustments in relationships with with non-Christians, but the, the whole point is, what is it you can do, irrespective of what the other person is doing, what is it you can do to heal versus fester? What's under your control? And every step, there's a turn you can make that's under your control. As they say in the South, irregardless of what that person is doing. So an unbeliever might throw a little twist in it, but... What's under your control? That's the important thing. Is this
1: something that we should...
0: Already done it. Oh, you you were sorry. able. I was able to her, so. You were able. You were asked <laughs> with, with me. <laughs> All right. Thank you, our Father, uh, indeed, that you are the great conflict resolver. You've come to this world in Christ, reconciling the world to yourself. What grace. We can't imagine the pain you and your son were in as he was bearing your wrath for us in his body. Lord, give us grace now to love one another, to worship you, to adore you, give us ears to hear the word of truth, and to proclaim the excellencies of your mercies as we worship together in Jesus' name.